Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome to a special episode of the Addy Hour. Today, I'm honored to be able to host two scientific directors from the National Institutes of Health for a conversation where we're really going to be focusing on physical and mental wellness, and also talking about racial disparities, specifically within the context of our scientific research and in the context of our scientific workforce, also with an emphasis on our scientific trainees. So I'm honored to welcome two guests today, the first of which is Dr. Amy Newman. Dr. Newman is the scientific director at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, a role that she has served in since 2020. And prior to that, she was actually the acting scientific director for two years. Dr. Newman received her undergraduate degree in chemistry at Mary Washington College, and also went on after that to a PhD in medicinal chemistry from the Medical College of Virginia and Virginia Commonwealth University, then went on to postdoctoral training at NIDDK. Dr. Newman is someone who has been prolific in the field and has contributed immensely to our knowledge in this area. Um, as it was stated during the NIH press release when she took this position, she has performed work focusing on the design, synthesis, and evaluation of central nervous system acting agents as potential therapeutics for substance use disorders. She has published over 300 articles, is also an inventor on multiple NIH patents. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Dr. Newman, in addition to her outstanding science, is her emphasis on training and mentorship. So in 2019, she received the Kirstein Mentoring Award from the Office of the Director of the NIH, and in 2018, was recognized as a remarkable woman in medicinal chemistry from the American Chemical Society. So someone who has had a lot of impact, both scientifically and in terms of people's uh, training and development over the years. So I'm honored to be able to welcome Dr. Newman to the Addy Hour podcast. Thank you so much, Nee. Oh, thanks so much for being here. Our second guest, which I'm pleased to introduce, is Dr. Luigi Ferrucci, who is the Scientific Director at the National Institute on Aging. Uh, Dr. Ferrucci is a geriatrician and an epidemiologist who conducts research on the causal pathways leading to progressive physical and cognitive decline in older persons. He uh, received a lot of his training at Florence, at the University, um, the University of Florence in Italy, where he also received his PhD and has board certification in geriatrics. He served on the faculty at that university for quite a while, an associate professor of biology, human physiology, and statistics at the University of Florence. And then also between 1985 and 2002, was the chief of geriatric rehabilitation at the Department of Geriatric Medicine and director of the Laboratory of Clinical Epidemiology at the Italian National Institute of Aging. So Luigi is someone who has performed research across uh, several different continents, has a lot of work uh, both in the US and in Europe, a lot of longitudinal studies, specifically looking at risk factors for mobility, uh, disability in older persons. In September of 2002, he became the chief of the longitudinal studies section at the National Institute on Aging and the director of the Baltimore Longitudinal Study on Aging. And then in 2001, became the scientific director at NIA. So someone who has a long-standing history in the field, has made several contributions, and has also served in several different leadership roles. So again, honored to be able to welcome Dr. Luigi Ferrucci to the Addy Hour podcast as well. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to this conversation. 
Yes, I am as well. And I feel like this is a, a two for one deal. I know the two of you interact quite a bit and I'm honored to be able to host both of you simultaneously and to hear some complimentary perspectives um, that you all have in your roles as scientific directors and in your roles in mentoring and in leadership as well. Um, so as our listeners know, I always like to start out just checking in with our guests to see how they're doing. And before we get there, though, I did want to put this in context a little bit as well, because I think there are some things as scientists that we all share in common, um, especially with everything that's gone on over the last 18 months. I think a lot of us as scientists have become de facto experts for our friends and, and our colleagues and families, whether we feel like we fit that role as well uh, or not. Um, but just with you know the way that science has been talked about publicly recently, obviously with COVID and also with the last election, I feel like science has been elevated in the conversation, uh, some for good, some for not so good, but it's given us an opportunity in a lot of ways as well. Uh, but I know for me personally and others I've talked to, we sometimes become you know de facto infectious disease experts or vaccine experts or immunologists or epidemiologists. Of course, Luigi, in your case, that is appropriate uh, in terms of the epidemiology. But I did want to also just talk about the ways that we are also all going through this as well, just like everybody else and not always an easy journey. Um, so if we could just start you know, talking a little bit about how you've personally experienced the last 18 months and how that has also played out in your professional role as a scientist working with scientific trainees. Um, so Dr. Newman, if we could start with you. Thank you, Nee. Uh, it has been a roller coaster and I think that I probably have many people on that roller coaster with me. Mm. Um, as you noted, I became the actual scientific director just in November. I was the acting scientific director before that. So within this 18 months, I was also applying for the job that I was in and hope to remain in, um, experiencing the, the many changes that we had to quickly make to have people, first of all, work from home and figure out how to do that and then slowly get back. But even now, uh, being distanced and masked and, and so forth. It, it has been quite an adjustment. And I think that where I get the most thrill is that we're, we're doing it. And you know, despite the fact that it's not been easy and there's certainly been trauma along the way, we have figured it out for the most part at just about every level, not to say that we don't want to get back. We all want to get back. We want to mm. be together and, and do the work that we, we do best and that we love most. But I think that I'm, I'm really delighted with the resilience that I've seen. And for the most part, the flexibility that we've had to have at every level in order to kind of keep on doing what we're doing because we can't stop. We're mm -hmm. scientists and not only do we love it, but I think, you know, I really think that work that we do is so important to continue to do in the best way that we can. Yeah, very well said. And there's a lot of hope there as well. I like that the the full picture that you gave, not that it's been easy or there haven't been challenges along the way, but that things are still moving forward. I think that's really important. I appreciate you bringing that, bringing that out as well. Uh, what about you? Uh, well, you I, I, you know, certainly I agree with most of what Amy said, you know, it's been challenging. I think the most challenging part to me uh, has been, uh, you know, losing uh, that direct connection, that unspoken language that connect mm. people and scientists. And you know, being able and make an effort to continuously connect with them so that uh, you become the thread that uh, reinforces uh, you know the spirit of a team. And and I have to say that analogously to what, what Amy said, I'm amazed how people responded to this challenge. How you know the scientific productivity did not get went down. You know, people found any possible way to maintain uh, attention and focus on their work. You know, they could not collect data. They used the data they had to analyze them and write in their paper. They kept having, you know, their lab the meeting, uh, you know, virtually. I, I, I have to say that, 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 you know, people have been marvelous, you know, to me how they, of course, there's been weaknesses. There's yeah. been you know, some of our trainees, uh, and, and not only the trainees, have been really subject to uh, great stress. And, and, and you know, uh, for me, it's been, uh, a, a, you know, an attempt to support them in, in many different ways. And at the same time, I was dealing with my personal situation because my 
uh, family is in Italy, so mm. we couldn't travel. So mm -hmm. I stay 18 months uh, without visiting my family. And so there was the stress of not traveling, the stress of having to, you know, maintain an issue so that at the end of this period, we will have, uh, you know, an NIA and an NIDA that are still alive <laughs> and mm -hmm. can produce that important work that they do. You know, it's a mixed bag. I learn a lot. I think that uh, if we get out from here, if the grip of COVID-19 uh, release, uh, we'll do things differently because we have learned something from this experience. Mm. Yeah, that's very well said as well. There's so many important points that you both brought up, uh, just the realities of the whole thing. And I, I like that you talked about the personal aspect for you as well, because you're still leading, even though you yourself haven't seen your family um, in 18 months. Um, and then Amy, as you mentioned, just the resilience that's been there as well on both sides, even, you know, even while there are challenges along the way, but several different points I wanted to actually follow up on, but one, you know, Luigi, you, you mentioned it and hinted at the expectation in a sense for NIA and for NIDA, there is an expectation that the work will continue. How have you seen that impact yourselves and those around you? Has that been good pressure? Has it been challenging pressure, especially as you said, you know, some have thrived under this, but some have also had challenges with the stress. Um, any, any, anything that you've noticed that's come out with that? I think globally, we are done fantastically. I think that there is a, there's been event, episode of difficulties, but even those that uh, went under stress, uh, adequately supported, uh, mm -hmm. they were able to come out positively. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen that uh, people were highly receptive uh, mm -hmm. to discussion, to communication. And so in general, uh, uh, you know, certainly not everything went as perfect as we wanted. And, you know, one of the things that you said at the beginning, for example, is very important. You know, at some point, everybody became expert uh, uh, in epidemiology of viral disease. You know, mm. everybody was a virology. Everybody was trying to write uh, on COVID-19. Uh, initially, I was kind of upset for that. You know, mm. this is the science. You can't really improvise yourself to be. But then I realized that uh, to some extent, this was a coping strategy. Mm. You know, instead of being only the receiver of the negative effect of COVID-19, being a protagonist and contribute in some way or another with your scientific expertise, the solution of the problem. And so I realized that, uh, you know, all these, uh, you know, trying to elaborate the new ideas, especially in the field of aging where, you know, COVID-19 is really being hitting the weaker. And, you know, all the people are certainly one of the mm -hmm. weakest components of our population. Well, really extraordinary positive. So in the end, I think that my view is very positive. I think, as I say, we'll come out from this a little bit better than we were before. That, mm -hmm. that, that's what I think it is. Mm -hmm. I think from our side, there's two groups that, that really suffered a lot. Mm. And one were those who are in, uh, who have small children at home or school-aged children at home. And this does hit not only our postdocs and junior faculty, but also many of our administrators who we completely depend on to keep us going forward and having to figure out how to teach your children from home and get your kindergarten on a laptop and, and those kinds of things, I think was extremely stressful for that group. And I think some of them really felt like they were not able to move forward in the job that they wanted to do because they had this whole new job that was extremely new to them and, and not something they were necessarily good at and they had to do it. There was no other no other choice. I think that was really tough. The other thing, the other group um, are clinical researchers and you know we we work with substance use substance use disorders and that has skyrocketed during COVID. I mean that is a, just a tremendous number of overdose deaths much higher than it has been in several years and mm. can't even do our patient studies we can't do our clinical work right now to the degree that we had before we've just started to open up some clinical studies this summer but it's at a much slower capacity and so i think our clinical researchers feel frustrated because this is what they do and that's mm. the population that they want to serve it's mm -hmm. really suffered and and they're kind of if anything, slow, but almost stopped in their tracks for the last 18 months. Mm. What have been the, some of the ways that you all have tried to address that in the meantime? 
um, just being in that place of, it sounds like a mixture of one, feeling stuck, and two, not being able to help the people that you feel like you're called to serve as well. So how, how have you addressed that? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, the most difficult part is that uh, when you are in the building, when you meet people in the corridor, when you get coffee with them, you know, when you have all these informal um, meeting with them that they're not predisposed, you keep track of what is happening. You know, you're feeling the sense of whether there is something wrong that's going on in the people, you know, the gesture, their posture, the way they, you know, say hello to you mm. for a moment. And I, I felt that uh, I was completely missing that. You know, for example, and this is a stupid episode, but uh, I'll tell you how much this was important. Uh, you know, during Christmas time last year, I had so much longing for the people that work in my office of the scientific director that I visited each one of them. You know, I went to their home. I saw them for one minute, but we were face to face. Mm. And I got, I don't think they got a lot from it, but I did. I did like, I felt that that human connection was reconstituted. And what I'm afraid is that while our productivity will be high, reestablish those uh, informal and, and uh, you know, hard connection. Mm. It's not going to be automatic. We will need to work hard to do that, and, and I, I intend to do it, uh, you know, by maybe meeting with people, creating an informal, informal way of, uh, you know, creating groups uh, that even, even not based on the scientific, but, but, but um, you know, uh, Thursday last week, uh, at the end of the day, we went for a walk. You know, masking everything was. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. You know, mm -hmm. talk to people just for you know two miles of walking, but interacting with them, and 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 you know, see how bright and 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 um, inventive and creative they are. I think that gave me a lot, but I think that also they felt that uh, you know their scientific director, their leader was mm. with them. And I want them to feel that I am with them. As mm -hmm. I learn from them and I feel that I are, you know, in my same journey. That's great. All on the journey together. Amy, that anything is, you were going to add there as well? Yeah, that That's, I did not do the one-on-one -on -one like that, but one thing that we did was that we had listening sessions on mm. Zoom, but one-on-one -on -one with every single faculty member and they had just 30 minutes, but I had two questions. One is, tell me about the most, one most exciting project that you're working on or you want to work on. And then tell me the challenges that you have to prevent you from moving forward as quickly or as effectively as you want to. And they were, and, and we did this with all the faculty, and then we did it in groups with our staff scientists and staff clinicians, and we even did a group with the postdocs. And mm -hmm. I think that, that it was so super fun. It was great to see that enthusiasm despite the situation. It was very informative to hear what the challenges were, many mm. of which I knew, but some of them I didn't. And also, mm. I didn't know how many people found certain things to be challenging. And so that gave me my, you know, my, my orders to move forward and try to fix those things. But um, especially with like my staff, st scientists and staff clinicians, they said, you know, I've never had a chance to talk to my scientific director. This is the first wow. time I've ever talked to my scientific director. They ever asked me to have a conversation. And, wow. um, I, you know, I got a lot out of that, but I think they did too. And the, the other thing that, that I did this summer, because we could do it, I have a, a nice backyard. We live kind of out in the country and we lined up big picnic tables and I invited my whole group for outdoor lunch and we, they, I made lunch and they, we were all outside mm. and it was so fun. I mean, we hung out here for hours and it was just a great chance to be together. And again, I loved it, but I think they really loved it too. And, you know, it's just a one-off. I wish I could do it more often. This is something that I really like to do. Luigi and I both love cooking and we love to entertain. And it's something that we've really not been able to do like mm. we love to. But those little tiny gestures seem to have been useful for all of us. Yeah, that's great. And I appreciate you peeling back the layers because as you were both talking about how, you know, groups are still here, people are still moving forward. That was one thing I was just really wondering, like the layers underneath that what you had done it sounds like it's been some new creativity in a sense too and you know as we were talking before we started 
the, the session as well, you know, the things that we don't get trained on as scientists, but which I think we're all becoming much more aware of the importance of, you know, I mean, just having people over, having those touch points, Luigi, having your, your drive-bys to just connect with people uh, and connect and, and chat with them and, and how important that is for all of us in so many ways. I mean, you learn, uh, you know that, but you learn more and more that uh, only a place that make people enthusiastic and happy becomes productive. You know, you need to make them want it to come to work. You need to make them being, uh, you know, thinking that the best thing they can do is to interact with the group. And if you're able to do that, uh, that is an incredibly powerful force. You know, you don't really have to teach them how to pipette. You need to tell them if they come here and they pipette, they will make a discovery and they will be extremely happy because of that discovery. I think that uh, that is the most important thing that we need to do as leaders. You know, and, and, and then they, 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 they will grow professionally by themselves. You know, somebody told me once that uh, when you have trainees, uh, you don't have to take their hands continuously. You know, you are uh, like a flight control, you know, person that uh, follow them and, and, and uh, they, you tell them where to go, but they actually know where to go. And mm -hmm. you only intervene when uh, there is bad weather or when they, for some reason, are losing their direction and then uh, you have to go there, put them in the right direction, and then allow them to fly by themselves. And I think that I find that creating a good environment and a safety net where they know if they get in trouble, there's somebody there mm. that will help them is really the best way to handle our trainees. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like you're building a community and making sure that it's sincere, authentic, and that people know that you're there uh, to be supportive, which is so important. And would you say those are similar principles that you so try to apply as well? It reminded me of a quote from your previous podcast, uh, Dr. Ressler and Jones Marlin, when they said, uh, in quotes, cohesion can buffer trauma. Mm. And I love that. I wrote that down because I mm. thought, yes, you know, if we have that community where we, are, where we have these relationships, which I think are so important. And, and like Luigi, I, I want people to love their science. I want them to be able to pipette, or in my case, I want them to be able to run a reaction and not blow themselves up. It's really mm -hmm. important. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, having said that, what I always say to them is, you know, it's as important to, to really work on your communication skills and your mm. development of relationships. Because as chemists, we can make compounds all day long. But if I don't have neuroscientists and behavioral pharmacologists and computational biophysicists and all those people to help me put help me put those molecules into perspective and to help me know what tools are needed and and then give me the opportunity to say, wow, we just made something that nobody else has ever made. And we just mm. unlocked a biological secret that would have been continued to be elusive without mm -hmm. school. And that's the, that's the thing I think is so, so, so much fun about mm -hmm. what we do and I hope um, is the role model that we play as scientific directors for, for all those who work with us. Yeah. So important. So well said, just the importance of that diverse community in terms of our science and our teams and things like that. And of course, you know, that brings up a topic that I wanted to kind of touch on as well, because clearly the scientific diversity is so important, but we've also been just trying to walk through all the, the racial diversity issues, the racial reckoning that you know many of us are trying to walk through and, and hoping that it's a true racial reckoning, but then also seeing you know ups and downs along the way and all the racial disparities. I know both of your institutes have aspects of health disparities research as well. But I'm just curious, you know, as we've been talking along the lines of COVID, like how have those components impacted you all on a day-to-day -day basis in your roles as directors and in your interactions with your teams? So I guess that one of the things that's come out of it for us is, uh, again, this kind of grassroots growing of, of acknowledgement of the importance of that. And not only do we have kind of a faculty-led led diversity um, committee, but we have a trainee-led started, and it's called the IDEA Committee, Inclusion, okay. Equity, um, and they, they are they are 
they're educating us. So mm-hmm. every month they send they they send out an email where they're they're explaining you know some aspect of racial diversity or or during Black History Month or different things, and they're educating us. They're bringing speakers into our institution. What they are doing is being part of the solution, which frankly we need. We need mm-hmm. everyone, and I, I think to be part of that solution and to try to to help us improve and and, and really recognize the importance of diversity in that community and, and how it how it really brings science to the very best that it can be. That's great to hear. Luigi, anything you want to add there? I oh, think, I think that, that what Amy you know said is is absolutely in the right direction. I I have the feeling that uh, um, we need to attract you know more. I mean, as NIH, as an NIH environment, we have so much to offer. And so we're not doing enough outreach. We're not showing our cards around, showing how much being NIH could be a very successful environment, you know, for everybody and, you know, for underrepresented minorities, mm. for disadvantaged, you know, young trainee, trainees. And, and, and so, why and and I you know I think that at some point I did not realize that I was part of the problem mm. because yes I thought you know we need to reach to minority you know diversifying our workforce is important uh, but one of many things that I needed to do and I am glad that at some point uh, this was transformed into a central team and so we got a lot of information and in a way I realized much more that this was an in, incredibly important uh, you know, part uh, of, of what NIH needs to transform itself mm-hmm. and become uh, you know, a true scientific enterprise. Mm-hmm. And so in that time, I think that uh, many, many try to uh, address the problem. I still feel that uh, we don't have uh, enough people coming in when we advertise for our position. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do is to go and stimulate, you know, the uh, progress of young investigators that uh, are attracted by coming to NIH and realize that their scientific dreams. Mm. So I, 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 I think that uh, we're doing a little bit of outreach, uh, but I think we should do better. Mm. You know, I, I thought I'm discussing with some of the other scientific directors, we should create a, a movie about what NIH does, showcase some example of high success, you know, show the technology and, and the good stories that, uh, you know, have been realized at NIH and then go to the different academic institutions. If we do not expand that base, mm. I don't think the solution is fighting for the few candidates. I don't think the solution is that Yale and NIH fight to get that candidate and offer more. We need to expand that base because the base is there. So we need to find a way mm-hmm. to realize that. And, 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 and I think that many, many people now are really uh, considering that it's an important part of their, our mission. And so mm-hmm. I am hopeful that... Um, you know, with some up and down, as you were explaining, I think that, of course, the political, you know, uh, situation where we live will impact that. But mm. if we have enough time, I think we can make a dent on this problem. Mm. And again, that makes me think about the importance of the community aspect as well, both the community and the communication, because you're talking about making sure that the community is projecting and expanding, but that through the communication of those in the community to make sure that other communities are, are pulled in as well. And I think that's really important um, and, and as, a, as well as what the environment is like. Um, and Amy, as you were mentioning, you know, it's encouraging to hear about um, the trainees stepping up and providing those resources and all those things as well. I was gonna ask a follow-up question there because that even in itself can sometimes be a point of tension as well in terms of where the, where the onus is with the trainees as they are going through their, their training and taking on extra work. So how is that whole dynamic um, playing out? Because we've seen it in a lot of ways, Black and Neuro is a good example as well, where the trainees have really stepped up and done a tremendous job, but also know that they need to balance their time in terms of being trainees. And that they also need the support of administrators to actually uh, implement some of the changes and to be able to incorporate. So have those conversations been part of the 
part of the process. It's not, from your responses, I'm thinking it has been. <laughs> thing is that it's it what a wonderful time to learn it right so when you're in this kind of post-baccalaureate or post-doctoral time you're learning science and how to figure out how to do research and so forth but also that you're not just a scientist as Luigi said in the beginning we, mm. we not, if we're just scientists we're not doing our job we really need to learn to to do these other things and find out what we're good at not all mm. of us are good at all things that's why the diversity comes into being so important mm. and so yes I think some of our trainees end up spending a lot of time on the on these committee responsibilities and not so much time in the laboratory and then sometimes we have to reel them back in a little bit but on the other hand if that's what they really love and that's mm. how they really contribute then I think that that's that's great I mean one thing I was going to go back to with regard to the the community and not the scientific community, but in Baltimore, for example, mm-hmm. wonder why we are the National Institute on Drug Abuse is in Baltimore. And it's largely because Baltimore had the drug abuse problem. Bethesda didn't. Baltimore mm-hmm. has had an opioid crisis for a lot longer than the rest of the country has. And yet we still have trouble recruiting clients, subjects into our our uh, studies. And I think in part, there is this, they don't know that we exist, that we're there. Um, in part, there is a distrust for government mm-hmm experimental work and we have to somehow figure it out and I don't have the answers for all this this is really where I'm trying to find better ways to do things and and trying to encourage um, our trainees and others faculty members to to try to break down some of those barriers because we are not going to address the health disparities particular substance use disorder if we can't get subjects into our clinical trials and our studies and understand what works and what doesn't Mm -hmm. and that's a big challenge that we are really not doing well and I, I think that that's one of our big challenges going forward. Yeah and it seems like it has so many uh, ramifications as well uh, as you've talked about just from the research itself and, and the community and impact. Um, I know I mean within and I'm going to remember not remember exactly the name of it but I know there is a big push to make sure that there is more diversity in terms of GWAS studies so some of the local Baltimore groups have gotten involved in that uh, with the African ancestry uh, recruitment. I know uh, I think Zira and Yasmin Hur are both on that um, mm-hmm. advisory board. I'm forgetting the name of the principal investigators there, but some, I know they're working with local church leaders and things like that. Are there conversations about trying to do similar types of things like that within NIA or NIDA? I'm just curious, you know, I know we're outside of the training realm a little bit, but that has such yeah. an important oh, impact yeah. on society and what the trainees are walking into. I'm just curious to hear how those conversations Everything is connected. You know, I think that one of the things that is happening is NIA that is now, you know, leading the research on Alzheimer's disease and related dementia has just created, uh, you know, a new uh, initiative, which is called CARD, the Center for Alzheimer's Disease and Related Dementia. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, we will have a new building uh, in in, in uh, Bethesda that is currently, you know, I will say half finished, you know, we can see already the building. But, but one of the things that we want to do is exactly what you said, you know, doing research on neurodegenerative disease uh, that span across multiple populations so we can leverage on the fact that there are multiple populations there, look at the differences and, 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 and the similarity and connecting with the epidemiology. I think that the genetic assume you know, much more sense and become much more informative when, when it's diversified. Mm-hmm. But one thing I wanna say that is connected to what Amy said, And that really I struggle with is that, um, you know, the Washington Baltimore area is so filled with research institution Mm -hmm. that people are kind of tired in participating in stuff Mm -hmm. because we don't give them back enough. We need to find ways to give back to the community. When we involve them, we need to find way that people feel more involved. Mm. People feel that uh, you know they're part of a project. They're not just uh, you know the uh, our you know animal model that we're mm. using mm-hmm. you know, for, for our studies. And and uh, I've been struggling to finding ways because the, you know even some of the ethical constraints we live in do not allow, for example, to provide them care 
And so, but, but I think we need to bend these boundaries. Mm. We need to find ways so, so that research should become part of the community and it's not using the community mm. to generate papers. If we do that, I think that the involvement of people will be much, much higher. Oh, that's so important. And it sounds like, I mean, you're hinting at some of the, the policy pieces around that as well, but do you think it, do you think there's also a communication aspect of it? Um, or is it is it one or the other, or both in parcel? Just curious well, your thoughts there. Them, both of them. I think that I think that uh, you know when people come to the Baltimore Longitudinal Study of Aging and we ask them when they leave uh, of the two three day visit to write down you know the impression. You know, one of the things they want to know is what do you do with the data that mm. we give you? And so they want newsletter. They want to be informed. They want to know you know, what their contribution and their generosity resulting to. And we try to do something that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe is not, is not strong enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I know I keep saying the same thing, but again, it sounds like community and the community that extends outside of the research, but is involved in the community at large and that we're all working in the same goals together as a community, whether we're participants or researchers. So I'm trying to keep saying that, but it keeps coming up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the answer. I think that that's a brilliant idea, Luigi, and how to amplify what we're giving back to them and, and help, mm. help recognize that they're getting something out of it too. Is That's a really big challenge. We have a, a clinic that, that we provide treatment methadone and buprenorphine for um, people who are addicted to opioids, but it's small. And I think we could expand that. And, but mm. then it gets into this, like, are we using NIH research dollars for treatment? And so again, there's these, these back and forth. It's, it's, uh, I don't know that there's a clean answer, but there's gotta be a better answer than what we have right now. Mm -hmm. And it seems so important that, I mean, in some ways the solution isn't there, but it's also encouraging to hear that it's, that's a point that you're both wrestling with and thinking about and trying to improve. You know, one thing that we are really in, trying to increase is even like getting out into the high schools and, and going mm. to the science fairs and, and being judges and being involved. And maybe again, if we can get the kids involved and then they go home and they talk to their parents or their family members or their church members. And, and it kind of, again, this, I'm sounding like I'm being redundant, but this kind of grassroots way, but mm -hmm. I think that, you know, trickle down just hasn't done it. And I think that maybe that's another possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So really intentional in that sense as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like for the we we collect money and we we make little we give money awards for these that come from us for for these Baltimore science fairs. Just mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not a lot, but it's a little bit. And they not only do they win, but they get a little money, and it's kind of exciting. And I mean, those are small things. I think that there can be much bigger ideas coming forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so so important in a lot of ways. I also want to loop back and tie in one maybe one of the points that you made earlier too about. Um, the trainees and everything they're, they're doing to really make large impact and the balance with the science. Um, because I feel like in a lot of ways, at least for me personally, I feel like the groups that are coming up are doing a much better job of that um, than I did, even, you know, when I was in that position. Um, you know, some of these, you know, more public facing things I didn't start till I was well into my career, kind of settled. I feel like that passion is there and, and it's important and they're, you know, running with it in a lot of ways that are exemplary and things that, you know, we can all learn from that. But then you also talked about kind of the tension between the research and the outreach work. And so how are you all um, encouraging that or modeling that? And then also, you know, similarly in your roles as well, are the ways that you also try and balance that in your own lives? And how, how does that impact kind of this ongoing conversation and tension between different passions and where to pursue them? and how to balance that. So any insights that you all have that you've shared sure, with well, trainees I, or continue I want to say, you know, what you say is true and we we do titanic effort. I, you know, I know that, uh, you know, there's no one single weekend that I don't try to work and uh, to, you know, accomplish everything that needs to be done. But, uh, you know, to, to put a, a difficult note, I think that, uh, you know, spending our day from eight o'clock to seven o'clock in the evening in front of, uh, of Skype or Zoom uh, doesn't make our life easier. You know, I think that uh, um, I feel like uh, at the end of the day, I'm completely exhausted. Mm -hmm. So why doing the same thing that I was doing before COVID-19 uh, uh, require 
double of the effort. You know, I think that's important to understand this. And as we do it, that we are, let's say, you know, the stronger link, you know, we need to be the one that never crack because, uh, you know, people should see us as an anchor or to, 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 you know, that they cannot be attached to. You know, our scientists, our staff scientists, our trainees uh, are experiencing the same problem, you know, the same kind of exhaustion. Mm. And so, you know, you go back to the idea that of mutual support, you know, I think that, and you're right when you say that this generation are, especially in the trainee people that uh, are more likely to help each other. Some of them get into crisis, the other come in and try to be a support network. This is certainly happening in many of our labs, you know, even when there is a real crisis. You can mm. see that, you know, people get together, if not physically, at least virtually, and, and, and create the support to each other. And we need to encourage that, you know, for example, in my lab, is one of my staff scientists that organize, uh, you know, happy hours every Friday afternoon, and and uh, and you know people come and go, and they're there, and that's an opportunity for them to connect and also to hear what's happening to others. You know, mm -hmm. I, I say before, my fear is that something is happening that uh, will lead to something bad, and I don't perceive that mm -hmm. because I'm out there because. Uh, you know, you have one-on-one -on -one conversation, the, the buzz that is in the building that you can hear without paying attention is no longer there. And, and that is the part that we're missing that is extremely dangerous and important. I think that I have a very strong self-preservation streak. <laughs> so I know that I cannot work 24 seven. And in fact, I hate that term. One of the things that I do every week is I write a little message to my whole intramural program. It's just like from my heart to their ears, mm. they can read it or not, they can delete it or they can read it, but it's always something personal. And one mm. of my messages some months back was 24 seven, get rid of that term. Nobody mm. really works 24 seven and no one should even say that they work 24 seven. And I think at the end, I said something like the only thing you really can do 24-7 is breathe, and I support that. <laughs> yes, definitely well said. Yeah, so important. You have to model that. I mean, I think that it's easy to, to just always work and always, you know, pedal as fast as you can. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I do think that in my messages and, and just in my life, I do try to exemplify that I love my work and I love the work that we do and the collaborations we have and so forth. But you know what? I also made a dozen containers of pesto this weekend because I harvested a lot of my basil or, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I have, I'm having 12 people for crabs tonight because my son just flew in from WashU. He's a resident, a neurology resident. He just flew in this afternoon mm -hmm. and we're having 12 of his friends for crabs. That we have to show that we also are human beings and mm -hmm. that you have to be able to take care of yourself because if your well is dry, mm -hmm. you don't have anything to give. And, and I don't think that that's good for anybody. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And I'm glad you're, you're uh, being so vocal about that in a lot of ways too. Do you feel like that is getting incorporated into the culture? Because I would say, you know, if I ask many of the trainees that I work with, they would say that's not always their impression. Their impression is they have to stay on the grind. Yeah. This is their formative years. If they take a step back or take a time to breathe and pause, someone else will continue that work and have the position that they were looking for. So how is that getting incorporated in the culture? Or do you think this is a unique perspective that you're you're, uh, I can say about that, Nia, is when I said, I went, I, we took a vacation this summer and one of my messages was I was going on vacay. And mm. I had so many people send me a message and say, thank you. Mm. Now I feel like I can, I can mm. go on vacation or I can tell people I'm going on vacation because we're so in, in a leadership position. I think a lot of times we're so afraid to admit that mm. we're going on vacation. Oh, wow. We're not watching the, you know, the, the place every, every moment. And I think that it's uh, that, but you know, yeah. People need to keep on working hard and want to work. I, I can think, you know, the balance between life and work, it's really mm. important. And uh, of course, we need to do. But I also think that uh, everybody is different. I mean, I don't think that there is one uh, measure for everybody. I think for some of the 
trainees, for example, you know, working really, really hard, give them the sense that they're not losing the opportunity of their career. Some are more relaxed and they accept the idea that, uh, you know, maybe that this is happening to them, but, uh, you know, I always reinforce the idea that, uh, you know, NIH has been fantastic in this crisis. We have been given to people, we, they, I don't know who, we've been given incredible flexibility. Mm. You know, you have to deal with the children, deal with the children, you don't have to come to work. Because we understand that uh, the value of maintaining the health of our society, you know, I, I, we alternate people, so we don't have, uh, you know, a, a, a too much uh, concentration of people in the building. Uh, there is there has been incredible support. I have to tell you that, that this amount of flexibility, to some extent, uh, surprised me. You know that 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 this was possible. Mm. It was really a discovery, and I think that uh, has been a really fantastic choice to do that because that allowed people to relax uh, enough in the moment of crisis. But as I said. Uh, some people, when I tell them to relax, they just look at me like I'm crazy because they don't want to relax. They're losing ground. So they want to work night and day. And if they want to, I can't really teach them who they are. Mm. They know who they are. And so I think that uh, they need to support them for what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important, really well said. I love hearing about that flexibility as well, because I mean, it ties back to the point that you both made at the beginning as well, that things really seem to be continuing in terms of the work and the productivity. And that just shows me that the flexibility, even though some might say that's detrimental, for the way that you both have found it has not been detrimental at all, as things have continued, and as people have been able to continue to move forward. Uh, but to your point, Luigi, as well, just the, the individuality um, that's there and people have to know themselves and what works for them. Um, but Amy, it still sounds like in some ways you're also empowering people by just saying that you are going on vacation and people are having the freedom to incorporate that as well. So it seems like on all layers, you know, you're, you're showing that, but then also people are still learning from it as well. Um, but I think, I think it's such an important point to know that it's an individually based piece. I always, you know, with new trainees that come in, I always tell them how I've had trainees that I've had to tell to spend more time in the lab because they weren't putting the effort in. But I've also had trainees I've had to tell to spend less time in the lab because they were spending so much time overthinking, basically running themselves into a wall, spraying themselves thin that when they took a pause, they were like, oh, I can actually think more clearly and use my time more efficiently. And they actually got more productive spending less time. That's obviously dangerous to share because sometimes, you know, people could be tempted to take that to extremes. But I think it's, it's important to know that that balancing act is there and people need to know where they need to take their breaks and where they need to continue to move forward. By the way, Amy, during the weekend, I made tomato sauce and, and peach jam. So <laughs> I can't wait to come to your house and eat some of it, Luigi. <laughs> you can try them. Yes, there's definitely a food vibe going on here as well. You, you both are going to have to be careful because you're going to have a lot of requests after this episode once people hear that. <laughs> One of the things that Luigi did before the pandemic, and I'm sure he'll do it again because we're really limited with what we can do with awards. So like poster awards and things mm -hmm. like that, you know, mm -hmm. they get a little paper plate, paper plaque. And uh, Luigi has has the winners to his house for dinner. I mean, that's wow. a really big set of, I love that. And I think that wow. I would be able to do that too. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. That sounds like a great incentive to me. <laughs> Trust me, if you've ever had lunch. Well, come and visit and, uh, you know, some Italian food. Uh, you will yes, know yes. I promise you. <laughs> I'm excited already. Well, I know, I know that our time has gone very quickly here, which doesn't surprise me. And perhaps we'll have to do this again in the future as well. Um, but just to tie in, and I'm just curious to hear from both of you what you're, um, what you're hopeful for in the months ahead. I mean, you've both talked about some of the resilience and the ways that we've been creative, but what are you... What are you hoping for as scientific directors and for your uh, your institutes and, and your trainees as we move forward? Luigi, we'll start with you this time. I know that's not yes. a light question. Well, uh, you know, as I said, as I hope that uh, the grip of COVID-19 will be released soon. And then we can uh, take back our journey 
but with the new awareness of what uh, this pandemic had taught us and uh, on how important it is to remain connected as a community. And how, as you said before, maintaining flexibility will not put us now, but mm. will actually support us uh, as a community and make us more productive. I think that uh, my hope that will come out from this fast enough uh, so that we can fully recover. I have a little bit of fear too. Mm. And the fear is that if this thing goes on for a long time, that, uh, you know, unprocessed language, that connection that we had as more new people come in will be lost and will be very, very difficult to recreate. Mm. Will be a measured effort to recreate that uh, language that is informal and is not verbal. And, and, and uh, I can certainly, I will certainly try to, you know, push that uh, uh, project, but, 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 but uh, that in the back of my mind, uh, that, that's what I'm afraid of. Although, in general, I'm very hopeful for a positive, uh, you mm. know, exit from this. All right. I appreciate that level of honesty. And I want balance. to embrace people. I want mm. to. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I want. I want the world of friendship. And mm. Mm, yes, definitely, definitely hoping and looking forward to that as well. Amy, what about you? I mean, I think that for me, the thing that I'm most excited about is that during this time period, as I've just become the SD and under the under the whole pandemic thing, we've been working pretty hard behind the scenes to make mm. some pretty big changes and mm. and in the way that we do business at at NIDA. And I am so excited to see this pan out. And I, I feel like we've got the next year or two, there's a lot of new things that we're bringing in and really, I hope pushing the translation that I've always wanted to have happen as a chemist. I'm, I'm really sure that I've cured enough rats of cocaine abuse, but I'd really like to get that beyond rats. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've got, we're putting some things in place that I think are going to be fantastic. We've got some new recruits that are not only fantastic themselves, but very committed to diversity, I think are going to really bring in some new ideas for outreach. And I'm just can't wait for that to happen, but I recognize that it's not going to happen right away. So I guess that what I'm hopeful for is that the lessons that we've learned and the resilience that we've demonstrated in the last 18 months will continue to follow us as we deal with whatever this coronavirus is going to deal to us. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm, I'm an optimist. We're, we're going to get through this and we're going to be better for it. It's just, um, we just have to hang in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So well said. Well, I'm excited to hear about the new initiatives as well and all that's been brewing and that you all been working on so hard. Um, and I also appreciate, you know, I know just the sense between you and Luigi, just the, uh, the camaraderie amongst the institutes and the, the similar aligning and parallel goals in a lot of ways. So it's encouraging for me to hear just the way that things have continued to move forward. I'm definitely interested in doing an extended conversation at some point as well, and even coming back to some of these ideas in the future. So hopefully at some point in person, even though we've all been virtual up to this point, but Definitely Anytime. appreciate it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Anytime. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been great meeting both of you officially. I know we've corresponded beforehand. And I appreciate, again, just your level of candor uh, that you shared on this Addy Hour podcast. I know it's going to be a unique uh, setup in a lot of ways, but something that I think will really be important as we've peeled back the layers. So thank you again to Dr. Amy Newman, Dr. Luigi Ferrucci for being willing to come and to join on this Addy Hour podcast. And so all our listeners have some exciting episodes coming up in the future as well. So definitely stay tuned.